you, the sound system that we have here, is not like a sound system that is found in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, they have the largest and the loudest sound system in the whole world. It's known as LEAF. Um, it, it stands for the Large European Acoustic Facility, genuinely. I don't know why a, something in the Netherlands has an English acronym like that, but, but there you go, uh, LEAF, and its purpose is to blast powerful spectral noise to uh, test if a rocket can withstand the sheer force of takeoff. Hence, on the uh, graphics that we have, uh, that looks like some particular satellite that may be carried, and they test it within this particular place to see if it will withstand the forces uh, that come with takeoff. Now, now look, I've attended a number of rock concerts in my time, and I've been hit by uh, music that comes in at about, probably around about 80 decibels if you're in a rock concert. It hurts your chest, and it's great. Um, except the one trick here is don't stand next to the speakers. Um, if you do that, you'll discover what Kath discovered as one of the last concerts we were at, and she was standing next to the speakers, and it was, yeah, well, you have to shout at her a bit these days. Um, but, but, but just be careful. No, you don't actually have to shout at her. Please, please uh, don't take that too seriously. So that's about 80 decibels, and it will get us pumping through the chest, particularly if the, the bass is turned up well, and you can enjoy it in that particular way. But leaf can produce sound at 154 decibels, which they say would literally explode your head. Um, they, or so they think. They actually haven't tested it. Apparently, there aren't too many volunteers for, for this particular project. But that's the level of noise. And I suppose that when we come back to the verse we looked at last week, last Sunday morning, where we were looking at Psalm 96, verse 3, and considering that phrase, declare his glory among the nations. And last week, we, we looked at what that word glory meant, and we saw that really it was speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment, the incarnation of the glory of God, the majesty of God, that when we think about declaring such glory, you might think that we need something as dramatic as the leaf sound system. You know, we're going to declare it. We're really going to get it out there. Maybe you think we need to do something large and loud if we're to be in keeping with the Scriptures. Maybe we need a Franklin Graham rally, perhaps, or a nationwide advertising campaign or dedicated TV and radio programming or we need huge posters at every station. And no doubt there can be value in such things. But actually when we examine this word, declare, in closer detail as it's used in the Bible, what we actually discover is actually something which is far more nuanced and deeper 
and profound, something that engages us personally, something that can't be delegated to others. Now, to help us remember, I'm going to give you an RE lesson. Now, uh, for some of us, the oldens, uh, that will start making us break out in a, uh, a cold sweat because uh, we remembered RE lessons. I understand now, I was told it is no longer RE lessons. RPMS? RMPS, thank you. Is what We had RE lessons. Actually, the school I went to was so snooty, they called it divinity lessons. But anyway, we're going to have some... RE lessons, and our RE lessons come in three ways this morning. First of all, we need to reckon. Secondly, we need to recount. And thirdly, we'll see that we need to record. So let, let's pick up the first of our REs. We need to reckon. You see, the Hebrew word used here for declare is the word sorfar. It's a Hebrew word that's used about 109 times in the Old Testament. And on 33 occasions, it has the sense of numbering or counting. Let me give you some examples from the Bible so you can see how it's used in this particular way. For example, in Genesis 15 verse 5, it says this, He, that is the Lord, took him, that is Abram, outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. That's our word, our declare word, our sawfar word. Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can, count them. If you can sawfar them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Or take Psalm 48 in verses 12 to 13. The psalmist says, walk about Zion, go around her, Count her towers. Uh, and again, it, it's that Hebrew word, sofar there. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. And the sense here, you, you get what is being said. The psalmist was encouraging the worshippers to be strengthened by knowledge of what God had done for Jerusalem. He's saying, go on, have a wonder, look, look. How strong Jerusalem is. Look at the towers. Count them. Just be encouraged. It's the same with Abraham, where, where God took him out on that darkened night, a night that wouldn't have the light pollution that we had. And just look, Abraham, look into the sky. All oh, those myriad and billions. Try and count those and reckon it. Realize that this is incredible. I am the God who made and called those stars into being and sustains each one. You get what is being said here. In other words, there needs to be the wow factor. This numbering, this counting, or this reckoning is all to do with a sense of amazement at what God has done. And my friends, before ever we can declare his glory among the nations, we individually need to have seen and experienced the wonder of salvation through Jesus Christ. There needs to be the wow, there needs to be the honest reckoning of what Jesus has done for us. As it were, we need to count, we need to reckon, we need to look at what Jesus has done for sinners like us. Actually, this is exactly what Isaac Watts was getting at 
Our closing song this morning is going to be uh, this one. Just get the words. When I survey the wondrous cross. Do you, do you see the sense here? When I count, when I look at, when I reckon. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his heads, his hands, his feet. See the same sense? Reckon, look. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing. So divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You see, before ever I can declare the glory of Jesus, I need to have seen and felt and tasted and experienced the wonder of what he's done. I need a new view of my sin. I need to see how it permeates my every faculty all the time. I need to see how it's an infinite offense before an infinitely holy God. I need to see how without Christ I am eternally lost and I'm separated from the Creator. I need to understand how his burning wrath bore down upon my soul. My friends, look, get a true reckoning of who you really are in your sin. Be done with this false accounting that makes us feel superior to others. That may be the way you've come into this building this morning. You know, you say, hey, actually, I'm okay, I'm decent. Look, I'm in church on a Sunday morning. Surely that's worth some brownie points, and uh, I'm better than most of the other people I see. And, you know, the homeless guys sitting out there, yeah, I'm better than these homeless guys. Look, when you actually understand who you are before a holy God, my friend. We then understand afresh the wonder of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We need to be those who sit at the foot of the cross daily. We need to be those who gaze upon the darling of heaven, dying in our place. We need to see afresh his obedience to the Father. We need to see afresh his love for sinners like us. And we need to recognize that it wasn't the nails that, that pinioned him to the cross and held him there, but rather it was sovereign grace. It was divine love. It was infinite mercy that held him there. In the words of one of the more modern songs, may I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. May I see it like the first time. Standing as a sinner lost, undone by mercy, and left speechless, watching wide-eyed at the cost. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. You see, you and I need to reckon, we need to understand something of the mercies and the grace and, and, and the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, my danger as a preacher is I stand here and I say those things and I realize for some of you, you're going, yeah, absolutely, tick that off, that's what I should be doing. But look, are you, are you doing that? Do, do you value Jesus? Do you want to know him more? Are you, are you growing in your Christian walk or an experience or are you just coasting along? Do you know one of the tests I would apply? 
if I could go to your home and if I could see your bedside table, what's on your bedside table? I hope I'd see there a Bible. And I, and I hope because of that you're reading this word because this word is about Jesus and it's as we read and study the word of God that we learn about the Lamb of God and the work of God through Jesus Christ. And so I hope there's going to be a Bible and I hope you're reading it daily and thinking about it and meditating upon it. But what other books are on your bedside table? Are there books that you are reading that will help you know more about Jesus? You see, I, I hope you've read or are reading something like The Cross of Christ by John Stott to understand more of the work of Jesus. I hope you may be reading a book that we've been pushing recently, Enjoying God by Tim Chester, or some of you will have read Knowing God by Jim Packer because you want to read, you want to grow. What about some of the old classics? And when I say the word classics, you know, books maybe from 30, 40 years ago, I think of some of the Philip Yancey books that helped me so much. What's so amazing about grace or the Jesus I never knew? And I, you see, I hope you're reading. I hope there is this hunger and thirst within you that you may say, I want to know him more. I want to reckon. I want to count. I want to understand his worth. My friends, please never stand still in your Christian walk. Some of you here have been walking with Jesus for so many years and you've served him so well and, and so diligently. My friends, we never retire from the Christian life. Never. We want to go on growing and delighting ourselves in who he is. Don't settle down. Don't think you know it all. Be hungry after Jesus. Reckon. Reckon. Count. Understand who he is and what he's done. We need to reckon. But then secondly, the second of our RE lessons is this. We need to recount. We need to recount. You see, this is the second way the Hebrew word for declare, so far, is used in the Old Testament. It actually has the sense of telling another what you have seen or experienced for yourself. Let, let me give you some examples of the way the word is used, and, and you'll see what I mean. There in Exodus 18, verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh. And it's that word told that is our word, sofar. Moses told sofar, his father-in-law, about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Or we see it in Judges 6, verse 13. Gideon is speaking. And he says, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? Everything that our ancestors recounted to us. 2 Kings 8, 4. The king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, and had said, Tell me, there's the word again, so far, tell me, about, uh, tell me about all the great things Elisha had, has done. Job 15, 17. This is Eliphaz, one of the comforters, saying, listen to me and I will explain to you. Let me tell you what I have seen. Let me recount what I've noticed. 
And actually, probably the best place we can see this all coming together is in Psalm 48, verses 12 to 13. We've already looked at them, but the word is used here twice in these slightly different ways. Walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers. There's the word so far. It's used in the sense of reckon her towers. Consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell, there's the word, that you may recount of them to the next generation. So, so do you get it? It means if we're to declare his glory among the nations, it means that we're not only to be those who've seen and experienced and reckoned that glory for ourselves, it then means that we're to be those who go on to share that wonderful news with others. And that's certainly the main sense of what is being said in the psalm. The psalmist really is saying, tell others about the wonders of his salvation that you've come to know for yourself, that you've reckoned, that you've understood. So, so let me try and earth this for us today. What, what, what's that to mean? Declare his glory, okay? We've seen that it means sort of you, you, you reckon, you understand more about Jesus, and then you're to recount. Does that mean that actually we're all to be those who are involved in, you've got to do open-air preaching, right? That I'm going to stand here and I'm going to say, okay, guys, we're going to go out, we're going to go down to Princess Street Gardens, and we, I want you to preach in the open air. Or I'm going to say, let's go out and let's find the residential properties around here. And we're going to go door knocking because I want you to go and share. And that's what you should be doing. Well, for some of you, if I said that, you'd be going, yeah, great, I'm up for that. And I'll tell you why you say that, because you're evangelists. That's the gifting God has given to you. You just love these things. You love those opportunities. You just love to share Jesus in that particular way. But, but even though every one of us here is involved in mission, I want to suggest that not all of us are evangelists. I think it would be a mistake for us to assume that we all operate in the same way that an evangelist operates. If we thought like that, it actually devalues the gift if we imagine that that's the case. No, I think rather the New Testament suggests that those of us who aren't gifted in that way should be ready to respond to the opportunities that come our way. Now, now listen me, to me here. Hear me out. Lest you're suddenly thinking, ah, Andy is saying we don't have to share the good news of Jesus Christ. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying let's understand what the Bible says about how we do that. Because I think the New Testament says we should be ready to respond to the opportunities that come our way. It doesn't require us to be proactive all the time. Some people are, some people can do that. But rather for the majority of us, it expects us to be ready to respond at any time. Actually, have a listen to Paul and Peter in what are probably the only verses in the New Testament on personal evangelism. One of those verses is Colossians 4 verse 6. Paul writes this, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And 1 Peter 3 verse 15, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So here it is, brothers and sisters. Here's how we're to evangelize. Here is how we're to declare his glory among the nations. You and I are to be ready and prepared to respond to the questions that will inevitably arise when we live under the lordship of Jesus Christ, when we live as a follower of him. You see, when we live all our lives, all the time, in all situations, for the glory of Jesus, then, guys, we're going to be different. It's going to make us stand out from the way the world thinks and operates. And there will come times when people will ask, what makes you tick? Why are you so different? Why do you have that peace and joy and hope? How how are you coping with that time of suffering and bereavement that you've gone through? Why are you so caring? And my friends, when those questions come, as they will, if you live distinctively under the lordship of Jesus, then be ready. Be ready to answer in wise and appropriate and gracious ways that point to Jesus. Be ready to use language and illustrations that your questioner can understand. Don't slip into Jesus speak, to God speak, to the Christian subculture that so many of us are used to. You know, you won't go to someone, well, have you been washed again in the blood of Jesus? Which is a wonderful phrase and it has glorious meanings to those of us who understand the context in which it's written. But to the outsider, they're going, you're a nutter. You're a weirdo, washed in the blood of Jesus. You see, if you're not from our Christian subculture, then that language is ridiculous. So what are we going to do? We're going to respond in words and use illustrations and communicate in ways that our friends will understand. Look, we need to be ready to tell our own stories. We need to be able to tell them succinctly. And honestly, if you're here and you're a Christian, you have a story. Something's happened to you. If you've been born again by the Spirit of God, then you have a story to tell. How did it happen? What did God do to you? Some of you here have come to faith later in life, and maybe the difference is more spectacular and dramatic. And it sounds like a great story, but for many of us here, we we didn't have that sort of dramatic story. I was saved as a six-year-old. It wasn't childish. It was childlike, but it wasn't childish. So I I don't, as it were, have the same sort of story someone can uh, talk of when they were saved from a a life which was really messed messed up and screwed up. But I've still been saved by the work of Jesus, and I'm still understanding more of his grace and mercy. My friend, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a story to tell, then tell that story succinctly. And honestly, let's be done with the meaningless cliches. Let's be done with the empty jargon. Let's be ready. Because that's what it means for you to declare his glory among the nations. And will you allow me to make one other observation under this heading? Because when you read this verse in context, then something else emerges It's that there's an emotional element to how we share Christ. Let me read those opening verses again. Sing to the Lord a new song. 
Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Did you see that? Sing. 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 It is the emotional response and overflow of our hearts to what God has done. You see, when we're communicating what Jesus has done for us, it's not something which is cold and detached. See, that's actually why music has such a vital place in the worship of God's people, because it's that beautiful gift that we've been created with that enables us to express truths with emotional resonance. Music does that. Have you, you know, you sat listening to music and, and tears can come down your eyes. Why? It's, it's the way that we are made in the image of God. Music gives us that emotional resonance. So friends, when we declare the glory of God... We don't do it in some sort of cool, dispassionate manner, as if we were dealing with a philosophical concept. Mind you, that's at times how it can come over. Now look, I'm an Englishman, okay? Though my dad was a Scot and granddad a Scot and all the generations prior to that, I was born and raised in England. And the caricature of the English is they can be pretty cool and dispassionate, and in many cases that's true. Can I just say, by the way, Edinburgh residents, that's how Glaswegians think of you. You're pretty cool and, dis you know, keep your distance. And, and could I just say that when we come to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be emotion about it. It, it can't be any other way there can be tears there can be smiles there can be warmth there can be concern there can be passion it's going to be different in each one of us I'm not saying to you hey you you have to be crying as you share your story but I'm saying this it must be real and if it's real and you understand that God has rescued you a hell-deserving sinner by the the gift of Jesus Christ hanging there on Calvary's cross and Jesus bearing our hell and our wrath and I've been delivered from it. My friends, how can you be anything else than engaged with the whole of your personality in sharing that? My friends, if you just go, well, yes, of course, uh, to be a G uh, follower of Jesus, you do what I did, just put your trust in Jesus who died on the cross. You see, if someone hears that, they hear words, but they see something else. And it doesn't, it doesn't tie up. It, it just misses. My friends, we need to be those who reckon. We need to be those who recount. But finally, thirdly, our third RE lesson, we need to record. We need to record. Now this word declare, so far, also has one of its meanings to write down, to make a written record. Let me give you some ways it's used. Deuteronomy 30, verse 10. If you obey the Lord, your God, and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law. Written. Weirdly, isn't it? How, how a word can have so many nuances, how, so many shades of meaning, but, but this is it. Well, Jeremiah 30, verse 2, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. That word write is that word again, so far. In fact, when you find this word used as a noun in the Old Testament, because it's here as a verb, 
It appears over 50 times and is generally translated as a scribe. You know, Ezra the scribe, Ezra the declarer. So part of declaring the glory of God, part of declaring the wonder of salvation that there is in Christ is that it will be written down, is that it will be distributed among the nations. You see, this book is not primarily about a code for living. It's not about cultural conventions. You know, this is what you should dress like on a Sunday. It's about Jesus. This is all, from beginning to end, it's about Jesus. It's about God's rescue plan. It's about how God is glorified through the saving of a people for himself. And it is written down. And we want to get it written down in the languages, in the tongues of every single people group on the face of this planet. Do you know, one of the most interesting gospel developments I've noticed over these last five years is how studying the Bible with another person is proving to be the most effective evangelistic tool that we know. Now, we've got great courses. We've been running great courses. We've got the uh, poster here up, uh, up here for Glad You Asked. A brilliant course that many are benefiting from. We run Christianity Dis- uh, ex- Explored. We run Life Explored courses. But if you ask the people who wrote these courses, they recognize that nothing beats sharing God's word one-to-one. It has its own power. It has its own authority. And the wonderfully God-breathed word reveals Christ with brilliance and authenticity. If you're here and you're a student, you may be aware of what the UCCF published. They're they're doing another version, the Uncover series. Brilliant little book. And, And basically, it is just a tool that enables you to read the Bible, go through the Bible with someone else. There are QR codes and stuff like that that can supplement it. But basically, what you're doing is it's a tool so you can read the Bible. Or others of us are familiar with a series called The Word One-to-One. And basically, it's just a number of booklets on John's Gospel. And it doesn't explain it. It's not a commentary. It just is the way you open it and say, let's read this together. What do you think that means? You see, it is the Word of God doing God's work in God's way. My friends, whenever possible, try to open the Word with someone. Maybe use some of the resources that we have available. You'll be surprised at how many people in our day and generation really want to go to the source materials. Now, we're not saying, hey, you must become a Baptist or you must become Reformed or, 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 or go into tithes. So we're just saying, look, we just want to open the Bible with you. You see, we're a Bible church. That's, we want to open the Bible and see what the Bible says, see what God says through his word. And in this way, you see, we'll declare His glory among the nations. We need to reckon. We need to understand again what Jesus has done for us. May you do that. We need to recount, my Christian brother or sister, you need to be able to share and tell to others what Jesus has done for you. And do so expecting that tomorrow morning in the workplace or college or wherever you may be, the home, the community, if you're living as a Christian, it may well be someone might come up to you and ask you a question. And the Bible says, be ready to tell your story. Be ready to recount the wonders of Jesus and be ready to use this written record and to share that with others and say, hey, 
Would you like to read the Bible with me? And then let's see God do his work. Let's pray.